0: 1 Kings, we will look to chapter 1, picking up where we left off last week with verse 5, we're going to uh, read, the process this chapter, we're going to sort of hit the the highlights as we process this this story, and and then we're going to make some application from what we read. Kids, let me have your attention for a second. Kids, I want you to listen for something. We're going to talk about a man who is David's son. His name is sort of a funny name. His name was Adonijah. You're going to hear a lot of funny names in 1 Kings. I'll do my best to pronounce them. You're going to hear about Adonijah. And I'm going to tell you that Adonijah did something. He exalted himself. Try and listen and see what that means. What did that mean for him to exalt himself? And how did he do that? See if you can understand that and maybe talk to your parents about it. But here's what I also want you to talk to your parents about. Jesus, free us from that temptation. Okay? Now, for all of us, let me pray for you. We look to this passage. Father, within us all to exalt ourselves. Because I pray that you would speak to us this morning from this text, that you would speak to us this morning from the entirety of Scripture, that we would see Jesus more beautiful. We would cling to him. Would you do this? We pray. We all. It under the reading the preaching of preaching your word. Christ's name. And before I read or begin reading this text, I want to set up the struggle a bit for us. We are all created to find our balance in life and in relationships in Christ. And when He is at the center of our lives. When we are rooted in Him, then our lives and our relationships find balance. But all of us, time to time, some of us always live out of balance. When we lose that rooting in Christ, our lives tend to swing violently from one side to the next. It's like the pendulum in the old-fashioned clock. Pendulum swings from one side to the other, and that pendulum swing represents opposites in our lives as we, as we live apart from that rooting in Christ. The text this morning is going to present to us two opposite violent swings of the pendulum. One of those is the swing of passivity. We heard about it last week. We're going to continue to see it this week. But the other pendulum swing that we'll see in this text is the pendulum swing of self-exaltation, of lifting ourselves up high. Some of us lean to on one side or the other, and some of us alternate back and forth. But Both of them are rooted in a focus on self rather than a rooting Christ. We'll see it here, both of them here in this text, and the destructive patterns they perpetuate. And so now let us begin as we make our journey through this chapter. I'm gonna open by reading simply verses five through ten. You can follow along in your bulletin or in your Bible. This is the inerrant and infallible word of God. Now, Adonijah, the son of Haggath, exalted himself, saying, I will be king. And he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen and fifty men to run before him. father had never at any time displeased him by asking, Why have you done thus and so? He was also a very handsome man. He was born next after Absalom. He conferred with Joab, the son of Zerui, and Abiathar, the priest, they followed Adonijah and helped him. But Zadok the priest and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada and Nathan the prophet and Shimei and Rai and David's mighty men were not with Adonijah. Adonijah sacrificed sheep, oxen, and fattened cattle by the serpents stone which is beside Enrogel. And he invited all his brothers, the king's sons, and all the royal officials of Judah. He did not invite Nathan, the prophet, Beniah or the mighty men, or Solomon, his brother. The word of the Lord. These verses open by outlining the problem. The problem that we saw last week that continues this week in this story, a story that is riddled with dysfunction, family dysfunction, and just general dysfunction all around. Story we saw last week was mess, but the mess continues. Adonijah, a name that, ironically, means Yahweh is master, has to make himself master. Begins by speaking of Adonijah, who was the fourth son of David, likely the the oldest surviving son. You notice that even in the first verse we read, the biblical writer had to clarify who his mother was. Reminder of David's many wives. A tale that was not ordained by God, nor did it ever work out well. That backdrop, we're reminded again. David's age, weakness, yes sin. So with that backdrop, Adonijah exalted himself and he said, I will be king. To exalt himself, is, to take matters into his own hands, is to lift himself up high, to ignore all the other voices of life. And why would Adonijah do that? Well, on one, cent, or one, one level, it, it, it made sense because that's how the world did it. He likely was the oldest son surviving. text tells us he looked the part. Handsome man. See, that's not how the Lord did things. The Lord didn't always choose the oldest. David himself was the youngest of his brothers. He was not the most handsome. He was not the tallest in 1 Samuel 16. In fact, the Lord says that he does not look on man the way the world looks on man, but he looks The heart. mention of Adonijah's good looks connects him to to other failed leaders who, who fit the part as the world saw the part. Saul, Absalom, men who stood tall above the rest, men who were handsome, but men whose hearts were not with the Lord. Adonijah exalted himself. He also exalted himself most likely because he thought he'd get away with it. Here, verse six. Father had never at any time displeased him by asking, "Why have you done thus and so?" Adonijah was a brat. Why? the warrior had a pattern of passivity David at various times in his life when it was when it was that moment when he needed to have the hard conversation when he needed to have the hard talk he would go passive it happened in his leadership it happened in his family and that pattern led to a destructive flow of generational sin. The seeming silence of David, Adonijah took his stand. But, but how silent was David? There are indications in this text that Adonijah knew that Solomon was to be the next king. Notice who he invited and who he did not invite. Because we said there were a lot of funny-sounding names. And we don't, we're not going to get into all of those names, but some of them we need to know because we need to understand some backgrounds. Joab was one of those who was invited. Joab was, was David's military leader. They had a long and yet complicated past together. Joab, you see, knew where David's skeletons were. When it came time for for David to get rid of Uriah, the husband of Bathsheba, the man whose wife he had slept with, David had Joab do the dirty work. Joab was the man who killed Uriah. There was another man that Joab killed, Absalom, David's son. David's son had had raised up himself and, and led a coup against the kingdom. He, he made himself an enemy of David, and yet David didn't want him killed, but Joab did. He lost favor with David as a result. The relationship was not the same. Joab shows up here with Adonijah. And then there's Abiathar. Abiathar was a priest, but he was not the priest. He was not the high priest. And so Abiathar had something to gain if there was a change in the line. He had something to gain if Adonijah would become king by skirting the normal proceedings. They were there. Zadok, Nathan, Benaiah were not, were they got to understand that in Israel there were three main offices the office of the prophet the office of the priest and the office of the king they were established by God Nathan was God's prophet and he spoke God's word throughout the entirety of his life Zadok was the high priest in the line of Aaron Beniah was one of David's mighty men. He was the head of the bodyguard, the royal bodyguard, and he would have represented the kingly office in David's absence. Along with Solomon, these leaders were intentionally excluded. Sataniah is doing it his way. Remember the pendulum we talked about? In this opening scene, we see David's passivity and its destructive aftermath. We also see Adonijah's self-exaltation, his deceptive power grab. So how will the story continue? Look now to verses 11 through 14. Then Nathan said to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon, Have you not heard that Adonijah, the son of Haggith, has become king, and David, our Lord, does not know it? Now therefore come, let me give you advice, that you may save your own life and the life of your son Solomon. Go in at once to King David and say to him, Did you not, my Lord, the king, swear to your servant, saying, Solomon, your son, shall reign after me, and he shall sit on my throne? Why then is Adonijah king? Then, while you are still speaking with the king, I will come in after you and confirm your words. We don't know how broadly David had announced his intentions, but First Chronicles twenty-two verses eight. 10 tell us that he had received this word from the Lord. The Lord had declared that Solomon would reign after him, and he likely told some. So here we learn that Nathan and Bathsheba must have been included in that message, and we learn of their plan, a plan that is executed in the verses that follow. What do we need to see here? This portion. David, as we've already said, had a pattern of going passive when it came time for the hard conversation. But Nathan, however, is doing just the opposite. He's pulling in Bathsheba and he's going to David to confront David, in essence, to call him to man up. Don't miss the contrast. In the the verses that follow in verse 15, Abishag is still with David. When when Bathsheba enters into the room, there's a contrast of of confrontation and, and weakness. Bathsheba and Nathan step in and play this role in David's life. He was the prophet of God, the man of God who lived with a God-centered boldness. 2 Samuel 12 Nathan was the man who called David out in the midst of his sin of adultery and murder. Nathan was the one who challenged David to live into his God-given calling. And in so doing... He was a friend, David. You have such a friend? You have such a friend who will speak the truth of God's word into your life, who will call you out when you need to be called out. Are you this kind of friend to another? We'll talk about what it takes to be that kind of friend in a moment, but for now, let's. Continue through the passage. Just skip ahead to verses 28 through 37. After this confrontation, then King David answered, Call Bathsheba to me. So she came into the king's presence and stood before the king. And the king swore, saying, As the Lord lives, who has redeemed my soul out of every adversity. As I swore to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, saying, Solomon, your son, shall reign after me, and he shall sit on my throne in my place, even so I will do this day. Then Bathsheba bowed with her face to the ground and paid homage to the king and said, May my lord, King David, live forever. King David said, Call to me Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada. So They came before the king and the king said to them, take with you the servants of your Lord and have Solomon, my son, ride on my mule and bring him down to Gihon and let Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet there anoint him king over Israel and blow the trumpet and say, long live King Solomon, Till then come up after him and he shall come and sit on my throne. For he shall be king in my place, and I have appointed him to be ruler over Israel and over Judah. And Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, answered the king, Amen. May the Lord, the God of my Lord, the king, say so. As the Lord has been with my Lord, the king, even so may he be with Solomon, make his throne greater than the throne of my Lord, King David. The scene in the first Top Gun. That's repeated of sorts in Maverick. But in Top Gun, they're they're going to to fight the enemy. And Maverick is gun shy. He he won't engage in the fight. He says it's not good. He flies off. But they keep. They keep speaking into the headset, telling him to engage, to engage, to engage. Then the dramatic turn. He jumped into the fight. He did what he was called to do. Did You hear the turn in David's countenance as he was challenged by Nathan and Bathsheba? What, what his advisors tried to do with Abishag? Trying to restore his vitality with with the beautiful young virgin. What they tried to do with Abishag, but couldn't, Nathan and Bathsheba did by the challenge. Warrior needs a battle to fight. David got his battle. Don't you see that the man of God, the woman of God, we are are meant to bear the image of God in a world that lives at enmity with God. It is our high and holy calling, and it is where we are most alive. Hear it, David, hear. He heard the challenge, and he responded the beauty of David and the other pattern in his life. Over and over again in David's life, he would fail, but he would repent, and then he would respond. We hear it in his decisiveness in these verses. He, he calls the true prophet. He calls the true Priest, And he calls the kingly representative and he commands them to act boldly to install God's appointed king. David understands that God is the one who establishes the king. He had heard that word. Because the Lord told him that Solomon was to come next. God is the one who establishes the throne, but David also understood that he had a role to play. So he called Nathan and Zadok and Benaiah to, to execute the plan. People rejoice, most of them. Pick back up in verse 41. Adonijah and all the guests who were with them heard it as they finished feasting. And when Joab heard the sound of the trumpet, he said, What does this uproar in the city mean? While he was still speaking. Behold, Jonathan, the son of Abiathar, the priest, came. And Adonijah said, Come in, for you are a worthy man and bring good news. Jonathan answered Adonijah, No. For our Lord King David has made Solomon king. They've just finished their feast. They've just finished their party in secret. And now they hear the sound of revelry, but that sound is outside of their walls. They wonder, what is it? Joab asks, what could this be? What's going on? And at that moment, Jonathan came in. But did you happen to notice how Adonijah greeted him? Adonijah said, You are a worthy man you bring good news in other words I like you you always tell me what I want to hear in other words Adonijah is surrounding himself with yes men won't challenge him there is no Nathan in the room but this time the news couldn't be spun there's a new king in town And the people in that room heard it and they knew instantly that the party was over. They knew what would happen if Solomon found out where they were at that moment. So they went back to their homes. But Adonijah went somewhere else. We look to verses 49 through 53. And all the guests of Adonijah trembled and rose and each went his own way. And Adonijah feared Solomon, so he arose and went and took hold of the horns of the altar. Then it was told Solomon, Behold, Adonijah fears King Solomon. For behold, he has laid hold of the horns of the altar, saying, Let King Solomon swear to me first that he will not put his his servant to death with the sword. And Solomon said, if he will show himself a worthy man, not one of his hairs shall fall to the earth. But if wickedness is found in him, he shall die. The king Solomon sent, and they brought him down from the altar. He came and paid homage to King, to king Solomon. Solomon said to him, go to your house. When Adonijah... Exalted himself, he didn't go to God's appointed place of worship. He went to the serpent stone, an ominous sounding place. The real issue is not the ominous sound, but the reality that it is not the tabernacle. He did not go to God's appointed place of worship to offer sacrifices now, this moment ran to the tabernacle. Not because he feared the Lord, but because he feared Solomon. I hear it all the time. It's okay, there are certain things that people will not say in the confines of this building. Certain jokes they will not tell under this roof that they will go outside and share gladly. <laughs> I think that in church, might get in trouble. Reminding you that this not the church, this the place that we are the church. Sense in which Adonijah is doing a version of that he says to himself, Solomon surely won't get me at the altar. Surely he won't get me in the tabernacle. Solomon heard Adonijah's plea. He gave him another chance. What did he say? Giving him another chance. Show yourself worthy. How do you think that's going to work out? Find out. Time. Because we all know. There's often a great divide between the words we say and the reality of our own. Parts. But there's resolution in this story, at least for now. The story. That's the characters. That's the plot line. But how are we here today at Christ Church to, to think about this text? How are we to make application of this passage? Do you think about that, I want to offer you some words of counsel that I have received recently from a mentor of mine, an older, wiser man, Dr. Henry Krobendam, who, who shared with me some thoughts on preaching from the Old Testament. He said that oftentimes when we look to the Old Testament, we're, we're too quick to try and pull Jesus out of every passage. Now, understand, Jesus is in every passage. Old Testament, all of the scriptures point to Jesus. Dr. Kramedon was not denying that, but what he was saying is that oftentimes we look to the Old Testament and we find a point of application, understanding that we can't live up to what it's saying, so therefore we have the grace of Jesus. And while that is true, and it must be said, it must be reiterated, there's also in the Old Testament a call to holiness. Dr. Kropendam's words of admonition to me and words that we will hear over and over again is that a better approach to, to studying the scriptures of the Old Testament and to seeing Jesus in the Old Testament is to wrap our arms around Jesus than look to the text. Let me explain. The passage I tried to show you is a the picture of of self centered passivity and its destructive aftermath. When we wrap our arms around Jesus, look to this passage, we then see a call to Christ centered boldness. We're invited to consider its fruits. It David's failure, passive when it came time for the hard conversation, Adonijah's failure. His self exaltation, his self focus, that prevented him from receiving the hard conversation on both sides. It's a it's a failure to engage, either to initiate or to receive the hard and challenging words. And so, how does Jesus give us the boldness to engage and to receive the words that we need to give or hear? just to think about that and. In terms of three questions, three questions meant to to draw out for us here today at Christ Church, an application from this text in 1 Kings 1. How does the gospel impact us in calling us to boldness? Gospel. Gospel tells us that by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, we are We are united to Jesus. We are saved from the wrath of God, but we are also raised up to new life in Christ. The gospel calls us to live in in a blessed oneness with Jesus that is described as, as union. A relationship that cannot be broken gospel tells us that our identity is no longer in self. Our identity is no longer in what others think about us. Our identity is in Christ. That is the impact of our union in Christ. And when we live in that reality, we are given a new Christ-centered boldness that frees us from the fear of man, a fear that that causes us to go passive when it's time to, to have the hard conversation and a fear that causes us to shrink away when someone challenges us rather than to receive it, to respond. Our union in Christ gives us boldness, freedom to grow in Christ-centered holiness are you experiencing this boldness in a greater and growing measure first question the second how does the gospel impact our goals when it comes to conflict Could be a better way to think about it is apart from the gospel what is our goal in conflict at all cost. flash, burn. Do whatever it takes to win the argument. Now, if that is you, then then that if you're beginning to realize that about yourself, then it, it, it can serve as one of those indicators on the dashboard that something is missing. What could it be? The gospel frees us from this need to self-justify ourselves, and that often lies at this need to win at all costs. I gotta be right because I'm gonna justify my opinion. The gospel frees us from that need and allows us to no longer live for our own glory. So the gospel. Changes our goals. The goal and conflict is now the glory of Christ. The goal and conflict is now reconciliation. That impacts us when we are entering into and receiving hard conversations. It impacts our heart when we when we enter into those hard conversations. We we now have a different heart for the person we're, we're speaking to. It impacts our heart when we receive, knowing that our God is for us and He's using this person oftentimes to challenge us and grow us. Are you seeking the glory of God when it comes to the hard conversations in your life? Third, the gospel. our trust in the midst of the hard the gospel of grace is the gospel of sovereign grace jesus did it all jesus initiated it all the counsel of his own will jesus accomplished it all and jesus will see it all to a final glorious end Jesus is working His sovereign plan in all of human history, which means Jesus is trustworthy. And yet He works through ordinary means. We see it in this text. Did you see any miraculous parting of the Red Sea in this account? No, you didn't. But what you did see was God working out His sovereign plan. Very ordinary means and very ordinary people. He worked his plan out through Nathan and Bathsheba and through David and through Zadok and through Benaiah. God works his sovereign plan. He is trustworthy and he uses ordinary people and we see it in this text. But I've got to tell you, this week I have wrestled with that in different ways been a hard week. We we've, we've we've spoken about it briefly already, but over the course of this week our our church, the, the broader church has, has lost two giants of the of the faith, two men that that have had a great influence on me. Anna and I talked about it last night and and during our seminary years the preaching and teaching of Tim Keller did much to influence my calling and in, into church planting. And then we were finishing up seminary and considering what would be the the, the eventual context of that call to church planting, Harry Reader was the authority that God used to call us here, and he's been a friend and a mentor since, here of their passing, and And my heart mourns for their families and for the church. And there's a deep sadness that comes over me. But when I'm honest, there's another emotion that enters in. Fear. These are great leaders that the Lord has used in mighty ways in our denomination. Where is the next generation? Fear begins to creep in until the Lord reminds us that it's Jesus'. And that Jesus raised them up. And Jesus will raise up the next. And our hope is not in these men. We're thankful for them. But they are not our hope. Jesus is. He is trustworthy. And He works through very ordinary means, Like us. He works through us. Take forth the message of the kingdom. Wrap our arms around Jesus and we approach this text. When we wrap our arms around Jesus and we approach the calling that God has placed on our lives, then we enter in boldly and humbly, seeking the glory of God and trusting in His sovereignty. Now that is the application for all of us who wrap our arms around Jesus, but I would be remiss if I didn't point out something else in this text and draw it out for the parents in the room. Everything that we've said is directly applicable to you in your parenting. David refused to challenge his son, and it fueled a life of self-exaltation and led to destructive patterns that impacted many. Parents, trust in your God-given call to steward your children and to shape their hearts Jesus, lovingly, humbly enter in with the hard, challenging conversations and through them point your children to Jesus. Now let me step back for everybody in the room because I want to point out a very important clarification. The message that we are sending here is not a message of do better. We're not saying, do better than Adonijah. We're not saying, do better than David. We are saying, live in light of your union in Christ. So let me close by drawing out the difference. To live with our arms wrapped around Jesus is to live with the reality that we have already been to the cross. It is to live in the reality that we have already died to the punishment and power of sin and therefore death no longer holds sway over us. And yet, from time to time, that pendulum is out of balance. In those moments, where is our hope? Solomon gave Adonijah another chance. He gave him a clean slate. Then he told him, be worthy. In other words, do better next time. Time will see that Adonijah's heart didn't fear the Lord. He will prove himself unworthy. What about us? Even with hearts that are that are united to Christ, even with hearts that are with the Lord, we will at times prove ourselves unworthy. And so what then is our hope? If Jesus merely gave us another chance, if Jesus merely wiped the slate clean and said, do better, then our hope would ultimately be in self. But praise the Lord, Jesus didn't give us another chance. He gave us grace. By that grace, He has removed our heart of stone and given us a heart of flesh. A heart to see and love Jesus. A heart to turn to Him in faith and repentance. And by and through that faith and repentance, He gives us the gift of forgiveness of our sins and the gift of a new and lasting righteousness. His righteousness. So by His grace, we will be, we will more and more grow into what He has already declared us to be new creation Christ. Christian, this is your calling. Non Christian, this is your invitation. Joyfully receive it and boldly embrace it. All glory of God, Father is a strong and powerful word that challenges us where we need to be challenged, give us hope, in Christ that we are being transformed into new creations, do that work of transformation in us. If there are those in this hearing who who have not yet taken hold of Jesus, I pray that you, by your grace, would would do that work of new birth this day. Your glory, our good. Amen.